Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. And joining me is my co-host, a fellow H-Town sports junkie and veteran journalist, Stephen Kerf, 65 plus years in sports journalism between the two of us. Spring training, heating up for the Astros. And we're pumped yes. to talk about Espada's new lineup, Yonor Diaz's offseason work, and what Espada thinks his team needs to improve on. Lots of good stuff as well as some Cougs back at number one. Tons to talk about. But, Stephen, we're finding out that Espada doesn't exactly fall in line with Dusty's way of doing things. Well, you know, when I kept seeing all these things pop up, Robert, about, you know, Espada wanting to change the lineup or his views on base running or his views on such and such a player, I kept thinking of you first because I was like, Robert's probably jumping up and down for joy right now because it's different from Dusty. <laughs> that was my first thought. I don't think I'm jumping up and as, jumping up and down as much as like a lot of other fans are. I mean, I, I probably yeah. was okay with more more about Dusty than most people. Well, I mean, I don't think we should be surprised about this either. I mean, you know, every manager has a different philosophy, and sometimes it it's the right thing. Sometimes it's not. You know, all managers are going to be wrong every now and then. But you know, my thought on it was that it, it is a different view, and it's just going to be interesting to see not only when how when spring training unfolds, but as the season unfolds. You know, how much of this is going to stick, how much of it's going to be successful. It's just kind of nice, though, to hear a different perspective. And whether it's going to be right or wrong, well, only time will tell. Yeah, a couple of things I, I want to get to before we talk Astros. I want to remind everybody that we're going to have a Texans conversation with Steph Stradley coming up very soon. We're going to have three shows within about a day span that I'm going to yeah. release. One's on the uh, Texans with Steph Stradley, and then we're going to have a Rockets guest as well. So if you're missing that stuff, trust me, it's on its way. Also, I got to talk about this, Stephen. Every now and then, I get something right. Yep, I got this one right. Astros pitching coach Bill Murphy actually echoed what I said all last year. He said Astros pitchers, including Christian Javier, were hurt by the early ramp-up caused by the WBC last year. Also, Murphy's working on Javier's delivery, as some of you might have heard. Also, Javier lost 15 pounds in the offseason, which Javier himself thought was a problem. Usually, Stephen, you just blow off the who's added or lost weight storylines. They can be overblown, but make note that Javier felt like the excess weight affected his endurance in a year where he had ramped up his starts and his innings. Yeah, I think it's a big key. Now, you know, whether it's overblown or not, I guess, you know, if he has another poor season, then it'll probably feel like it's overblown. But sometimes, you know, for certain players, that just needs to happen. And whatever adjustments, you know, needed to be made, Javier and Framber uh, Valdez definitely needed to make those adjustments during the offseason. And it sounded like they did. You're talking about Javier. You know, one of the things that <clears throat> I think made him effective in 2022 was the delivery that he had that fooled so many hitters in the past. And, you know, I think he, he kind of needed to uh, tweak that a little bit, get back to, you know, that, because I, I think he was having some trouble with that. And, you know, and, and I also think both he and Valdez, one of, one of the issues they had, I think they were too concerned about velocity. And I know, you know, a lot of pitchers want to think about velocity. Let's see how hard we can throw the ball. And I think Murphy even acknowledged that maybe they were trying to throw a little harder than they were comfortable with and get more velocity. So just a, a matter of getting back to some of those mechanics that helped both Valdez and Javier succeed in 2022. And you mentioned Fromber and, and that situation. I'm going to just talk about that because they're addressing Fromber's sinker, which was much worse last year. Fromber Seeker generated just a 54.3% ground ball rate last season, down from 68.6 in 2022 and 749 
in 2021. So it's been slowly ramping down. Steven, yeah. opposing hitters slug 455 against the sinker, which Valdez yeah. threw at an average of 95.3 miles per hour, harder than at any point in his career. Well, yeah. And that's what I was just saying is that, you know, sometimes harder isn't always better. It's how effective is the pitch. And, you know, that average, Robert, what, what was happening is, yeah, the ground balls were going down, the homers and the line drives were going up. And that's not what you want to see, especially with that pitch, the sinker that was so effective, you know, even with the drop in ground ball production, Robert, he was still one of the top pitchers in the league in getting ground balls, but just not enough. You know, the, the problem is the homers and the line drives went up and that's just not what you want to see. Yeah. And it's not just Fromber and not just Javier or Keating said he discovered something in the offseason. He was tipping pitches by how he moved and squeezed his glove in his delivery. Or thought Christian Vasquez and Carlos Correa, this is all, you know, recently we just saw this uh, up on uh, Twitter. Chandler Rome was talking about this, that Vasquez and Correa picked up on it by the time the playoffs rolled around. So he manipulated the pitch clock as much as possible Urquidy did, and the ALDS to throw them off during game four. So Stephen Urquidy worked to solve that issue, and he strengthened his lat and shoulder area, which was, of course, the injury he dealt with all of last year. Yeah, well, those were big. Well, you know, I remember that ALDS thing because you remember the, the Twins fans were counting down 10, 9, 8, 7. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, Urquidy just, he just kept pitching like, eh, whatever. Uh, that was pretty funny. But, yeah, you know, it's it's so important for pitchers to, to really take a look at what not only – what they did wrong in the past season, but what they did right in the previous seasons. And with Urquidy, I, I mean, gosh, if all of these pitchers, you know, I mean, somebody's going to have a bad year because it just happens. But if if the, most of these pitchers can figure this stuff out, man, what a rotation the Astros are going to have. And then you put it with the bullpen, especially the back end of the bullpen. But I've always said, if the starters are more effective, it takes the pressure off the bullpen. You don't have to use them day in and day out all the time. It's a lot for the Astros to get some of these guys right because look at the rotation right now. You're wondering if Verlander is going to start the season. Obviously, with his age, he's a concern. Hunter Brown, an incredible first half of the year, but fell off a cliff in the second half of last year. And he's a guy that I'm sure has learned a little bit on how to have better endurance. And maybe he can make the second half of this year better than the second half of last year. And then J.P. Francis, having some, I mean, all of these guys, you got six pitchers with all sorts of question marks, and you just need some of these guys to come through until you can get reinforcements when McCullers and Garcia come back. Yeah, and it's not unusual, unfortunately, but it, it is a little concerning, though, that you're in spring training. You know, this isn't July, August, September. This is spring training, and we're starting out. You know, the pitchers and catchers reported, what, a couple weeks ago. So, you know, to have these problems at the beginning, I'm sure it's making, you know, a lot of Astros fans and, and even the Astros brass a little bit nervous, especially after what they went through last year. But every season is different, and you're going to have these problems. And that's why I know we use this agnosium, Robert, but you can't have too many pitchers. And you guys, guys like Spencer Arigetti, I mean, I don't know if he's going to start the season with the Astros, but he had a good performance the other day in his first spring training start. So, you know, these are guys that you just you have to keep an eye on that when any of these others go down, that you've got people ready to step in and fill their shoes. They put Spencer Giddy's, Spencer Arigetti's locker right between Verlander and McCullers. So they're trying yeah. to get him in with the right guys, of course. And then the other big news that Espada made uh, actually was that he plans to bat a lineup of Altuve, Jordan, Bregman, and Tucker, one, two, three, four. So they're trying to get the pitching squared away, but they're also front-loading this lineup, Stephen, like nothing that we saw with Dusty Baker. What did you think about this? 
Well, there are one or two ways that I looked at it, Robert. You know, the first is like, well, I kind of like having Jordan in that third or fourth spot because he can drive in more runs. But when you start to think about it, if you put Jose Altuve and Jordan Alvarez back to back in that lineup, one, two, you're going to be more aggressive coming out of the gate. And, you know, Espada has the numbers to back this up, Robert, because if you look at last season, hitters in the second spot had a combined OPS of 785. And I'm talking in the major leagues, and that's best in the major leagues. And some of the greatest hitters in the game right now, Aaron Judge, Shohei Otani, Freddie Freeman, Corey Seager, they were examples of a team's best hitters being in the second slot. So it really isn't that far-fetched if you stop and just you know kind of let it sit and think about it for a little bit. Again, it, it's definitely a totally different philosophy. And it's just going to depend. I know he's going to try it in spring training, so I'm sure a lot of it's going to depend how he feels it's working by the time they get to the regular season or maybe a little bit beyond that. But yeah, I'll be interested to see how that actually plays out. Yeah, everybody thinks, oh, the two-hole. So like the inning starts every single time. The guy in the two-hole comes up. The inning starts with the guy leading off. And of course, we know that's not the key. The, the no, key no. is, what do you have at the back of the lineup? And the Astros, Steven, no longer have. Maldi has the automatic out. So it's like Jake Myers or Pena or somebody. Like that's going to be in the nine-hole, which is a, a big difference from last year. Well, yeah. And you know, speaking of Jeremy Pena, I mean, apparently he's been doing a lot of work too and, and kind of changing some things in his swing. And Espada even said that he likes having Jeremy Pena down in the bottom of the order. And, you know, look, if Jeremy can get back to even the semblance of the hitter he was in 2022, that's a great thing, Robert, because as you said, you know, if the Astros can get to the end of the lineup where you have tough outs there too, well, all the better for the top of the order because you can put them in positions to drive in runs, get on base and, and that sort of thing. And, you know, the other thing with the lineup situation Dusty liked to dicker with the lineup a lot. He liked to play with it quite a bit. And Espada seems to be more along the line of, at least for certain guys, including Pena, put him in the same spot and let him be there instead of jumping them around the lineup. And, you know, Dusty did that quite a bit to guys like uh, Jeremy Pena. Oh, yeah. There's a definite difference in philosophy there. And Jeremy Pena, you talked about him struggling last year. His OPS was practically the same. The difference last year was he was getting on base more, but he wasn't providing the power. Yeah, and the if power. he's getting on base at the end of the lineup, and he's not providing the power, if he's at least getting on base, and we saw improvements there last year, then he's going to be on base for Altuve and Jordan and those guys. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I, I know, uh, you know, the, the Astros offense was still one of the top offenses last year, but I'm just thinking in my mind, if this experiment works, Robert, I, I, you know, they're going to be more aggressive coming out of the gate, more aggressive swings, better swings. You know, you got two great hitters up there, one, two, that are very patient at the plate, that see the ball really well. That just increases your chances of getting on base. And then you have Alex Bregman, if you put him in the third hole, Kyle Tucker in the fourth hole. And hey, if, if Jose Abreu can just get back to some semblance of the hitter he used to be and then go on down the line, man, your top five hitters, it's really going to be something. Now, it's not always going to be that way all the time, but it's just nice to think about. Get in the comments, HST fans. I want to hear what you think about Espada's new lineup. What's your lineup? Tell us about it. And speaking of the new lineup, Espada said new starting catcher Yanner Diaz has worked all offseason on being fluent in English. Steven, this feels like kind of a big deal when you're talking, you're going out to the mountain and you're talking in, in the English language to Justin Verlander, Ryan Presley, Josh Hader, Hunter Brown, and JP France. You know, that's a big deal if he can, if his English is better. I didn't know how bad his because a lot of these guys, you don't hear them, Stephen, speaking English in front of the cameras, but you don't know what they know behind the cameras because a lot of them just aren't comfortable yet to speak them in, in English in front of the cameras. Yeah, that's a lot of it. That's a great point because, you know, when you get in front of a camera, the last thing you want to do is screw up something, you know, by saying the wrong word or, you know, embarrassing yourself publicly. So just because they have interpreters, 
there in the camera doesn't mean that they don't know behind the scenes. But it does sound to me like Yiner needed to work on the English, and he did during the offseason. You know, this is a big season for Yiner Diaz, Robert, for more than just the obvious. I mean, yeah, he's going to be the starting catcher, so he's certainly going to be in a different role than he was in his first year. You know, what I'm wondering is how quickly did he mature enough, you know, to relate and, and to have a good rapport with someone like a Justin Verlander, who's very particular, as, you know, most pitchers are, but certainly the great ones, how particular they are about who catches them. And the other thing, too, will his hitting tail off because of the fact that he's had to concentrate on getting the catcher roll down, being the starting catcher and all the things that go with it? I'm hoping that doesn't happen. I mean, I'm hoping he doesn't have a drop off in the hitting department, at least to a great degree in his second year. It's also worth noting, Espada said he's treating Yanner like a full-time starter. What am I, what do I mean by that? Well, it sounds like he's going to be playing him a lot more than Maldi, but more importantly, none of the starters will have a personal catcher. Steven Espada flat out said the starting pitcher won't be a consideration when he starts Yanner versus Victor Caratini. Well, listen, I've never been a pitcher, okay, but I can certainly understand it. And I've talked to coaches. I've even talked to pitching coaches. Most pitchers will tell you, sure, they have a preference of who they want to catch them because they get comfortable with them. They know their habits. They know each other's habits. I, I think it's that way with anyone, Robert. I mean, if you work with somebody, you know, you worked with RG on your show for how many years? Seven or eight years. You guys had developed a chemistry and then RG moved on and you had to get used to someone else. And, uh, you know, gosh, you, you picked me and I, I feel sorry for you. You had to do it at the very beginning. <laughs> But, you know, it's the same everywhere. But look, what if that catcher goes down? Or what if that pitcher goes down and you don't have that? It, I think it's it's better that you have, you, you know who your starting catcher is going to be day in and day out. Everybody on the staff knows it. And look, it's up to the catcher as well as it's up to the pitcher to make sure that you're on the same page and calling a good game. And yes, there are instances where a pitcher and a catcher just don't get along. They don't, they, they don't see eye to eye on what pitches to call. But you know what? These guys are professionals and they need to figure it out. More changes from Espada. He's also been vocal about wanting more aggressive base running and an improvement on the base pass. He said their base running slipped last season. They want to take advantage of the pitch clock, which he said other teams used to their advantage on the base pass better than the Astros did. Steven Espada said their turns can be tighter. In other words, on the base pass, the turns can be tighter. Their primary leads can be better. And specifically, he mentioned Dave Clark, who's returned as a coach this year as somebody he has working with the team on that. Well, Dave Clark is somebody that that certainly would know that aspect of the game. And I'm glad to see him back. Honestly, I, I'm glad. I, I think he is a, a very good coach to have on your staff and especially in a role like that. You know, there was a story, you know, when Jose Altuve came up, I think at first in 2011, he actually ran through a Dave Clark stop sign in his first inside the park home run. I think his first home run wasn't inside the parker. And it's because he ran through Dave Clark's third base stop sign and just kept going. You know, they can laugh about it now, but base running, sure, speed is important, but it's also about timing. It's also about reading the pitcher's habits and knowing when to go, knowing when not to go. And for the Astros, I just felt like, you know, even the last couple of years, but especially last year when they made the changes in the bases and more teams were being aggressive, I felt like the Astros could have been aggressive, you know, in, in more spots than they were. I don't mean they need to be a base running juggernaut, you know, where they try to steal 200 bases a year, but it's just increasing the chances in the likelihood of, making those steals and you manufacture more runs that way, Robert, because you can't always hit home runs. So the more runs you can manufacture, the better. And that comes with moving an extra base. Yeah. Jeff Blum actually mentioned that, that and, I, and you forget about it. Stephen, maybe you haven't forgotten, but Dave Clark was actually the Astros manager for a split second, like an interim title. Yeah, it was several years ago. He, he was for a very brief period. So 
he's been around and he knows the game. And he, I think he still has lived in the Houston area, even when he quit playing and coaching for the Astros. Cause he, I believe the Astros were the last team that he actually played for certainly one of the very last. And then he got into coaching. So yeah, very good to have Dave Clark back in the system. Yeah. They always talk about baseball. It's a game of inches and base running is, is inches. We're talking oh, yeah. about just, you know, making that turn a little bit quicker, getting that slightly bigger lead, you know, it's all like so important. And uh, that's something that the Astros, not only did they not do that really well, but I mean, how many times, Stephen, did they, you know, get something really messed up where somebody just made a bonehead error on the base pass, you know, just that. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's all about smart base running, Robert. And, you know, we've gotten on Jose Altuve for that. And, you know, he's unfortunately one of the uh, culprits of just not always knowing when to go. And I think that's something that every player needs to work on because yeah, speed is great, but you got to know when that pitcher you know, when, when he's got a weak spot and you exploit it. And of course, you know, with the, the game clock being adjusted, that's going to be a big deal. And of course, you know, that the Astros pitchers have to worry about that too. But when you've got the opposing pitchers having to worry about it, why not take advantage of it as a base runner? And I was trying to think of who Dave Clark replaced. It was, Cecil it was Cecil Cooper. Yeah, I was just, it didn't occur to me at first. And then when you started talking, it was Cecil Cooper, but it was for a brief period. So that, that's who that was. Yeah, and another Big news. I mean, I don't know if this is news really anymore, but <laughs> Forrest Whitley, yeah, he couldn't even make it to his first spring training outing. He's already out with middle finger soreness. And I'm just shocked, I tell you, Stephen. I, I left you in charge of the, removing the hex and you, and you didn't get it done. I didn't come through, Robert. Yeah, I, I just, yeah, I don't, you know, look, I, I, you got to feel for a guy like Forrest Whitley. I mean, this guy's been trying to make the major leagues for what, six, seven years. And it's one thing after another. Now, some of that is his fault, you know, with the drug suspensions and, you know, but I just, I don't know whether it's a training regimen that he's just not getting right. It's a mental thing, but man, it's just one thing after another, you know, this is supposed to be, and, and he's gotten an extra year to do this. And now he's already got a problem. So he's going to be pushed back another week before he can even throw, but you got to feel for a guy like that because he's trying to, he's trying to get there just like so many other guys are, but it just, he just keeps getting shot in the foot. Yeah. It's, uh, I can't believe I, I can't believe it, but I can't, I mean, I just already like, we can't even, we can't even get to March. We can't even get to March without him getting hurt. <laughs> well, and, and to think at one time when the Astros were talking trades with teams, there were two guys that they refused to trade. Kyle Tucker was one, Forrest Whitley was the other. They were untouchable. And just think, you know, how opposite of directions they've gone, you know, how, you know, it was a good thing. Kyle Tucker was untouchable because of what he's done. And Forrest Whitley, unfortunately, has gone the other direction. And, you know, I don't think you could get anything for him now if you tried to trade him. Yeah, this could be the last year for both of them in the Astros organization. That's right. That's exactly right. For different reasons. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else that you wanted to mention before we get to the Cougars about the Strohs? Well, I'm just glad to see spring training underway, Robert, because I'm always, you know, eager to see who in the, you know, who's going to surprise, who's going to step up. And of course, you know, you got a lot of these young prospects. I don't know that anybody's really stepped up and, you know, done really well. Of course, it's a small sample size. Pedro Leon is one I think we need to keep an eye on. He had a home run uh, in the game uh, the other day. He's a guy that I want to see get it together because, you know, we've heard so much about him, but it just hasn't clicked with him consistently. So he's one player I want to keep an eye on, but I'm just going to be interested to see who some of these younger prospects like Jacob Melton, and even a non-roster invitee who might crack the uh, crack the team when it's time to uh, make those roster cuts. Yeah, Chandler Rome actually did a really good article on Pedro Leon as well. You can check out that as and the article that he did that I was referring to about Christian Javier and Framber Valdez. So he's, he's doing some really good stuff there. You know, the other thing about Leon is, you know, it's, they're badly needing some outfield depth, obviously. And um, Pedro Leon is somebody that they've kind of moved around quite a bit. Maybe just leave some, somebody in the same spot because it's, it's gotta be hard. Like he's trying to learn how to hit in triple a, and then they keep 
changing positions with him. But he did hit a home run on Tuesday. So that was good news. Yeah. And, you know, part of that, I think, was, you know, they were trying him at first base because they had so little depth at that position, especially when Jose Abreu was struggling. And, and even before that, well, they I, had him at short, too. I remember they had him at shortstop, you know, because that was, I think, wasn't that before uh, Carlos Correa left? And they were trying to determine, you know, Jeremy Pena, of course, was the one in waiting, but you need a depth at shortstop, too. So, yeah, I mean, sometimes I think it can affect a player mentally when you're trying to figure out what position you're going to play defensively. And then you have to, you know, keep figuring it out at the plate all the time. So that might have been something that was affecting him. All right, let's move to the Cougars. And, you know, I don't want to give them short shrift because they are number one in the latest AP poll after beating number six Iowa State and number 11 Baylor in overtime in the last week. That game Saturday at Baylor was a fun game to watch. Um, Steven, this is the first time in UH history they've reached number one in the polls in consecutive seasons. They didn't do it under Elvin Hayes. They didn't do it in Faisalama Jamma. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, because I remember in the Faisalama Jamma, I just remember how how late it was. It's like, man, when are these guys going to be number one? And they finally made it. I remember almost celebrating <laughs> when they finally made it. You know, here's my thing about being number one, Robert. I don't really care where they are in the polls as long as they get in the NCAA tournament and they get a high seed. Because at the end of the day, I want to be number one in April when the national championship is played and the Cougars are standing there with the trophy. But it's always nice to, you know, the fans love it. You know, the coaches probably hate it because the players read about it. They don't want them to get, you know, the lack of focus. But it's been really remarkable because they lost to Iowa State and then they lost to TCU. They lost back to back. But it's one of those crazy years, Robert, where I don't know that you could pick a full-fledged dominant team this year in college basketball. I mean, I think it's pretty wide open. And the fact that, you know, what the Cougars have, what, four losses, I think, and that they're number one, it tells you right there that it, it's a pretty wide open field. And then when you get in the NCAA tournament, when almost anything can happen on any given year, man, I almost can't wait to March Madness because it's going to be interesting to see who's going to step forward and just take control and get to the national championship. Yeah. You said the coaches don't like it. Calvin Sampson hates being oh, he hates number it. one. Also, yeah. Ramon Walker, I mean, sad story. He goes down for the season. He's had injury issues in the past, and it's kind of frustrating, I'm sure, for the Cougar program, but more frustrating for Ramon Walker. But it's 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 a little bit of depth that is taken away. Not to say that he was doing a ton, but, you know, they've lost depth with Arsenault already this year, Steven. Yeah. So they're, yeah, they're they, both they out now. So. They can't afford, you know, anybody else to go down right now. Yeah, and it's so interesting. It just seems like every year, the last several years, Somebody from the Cougars, you know, has gone down. I mean, it happened to Marcus Sasser and it, it's happened, you know, several years prior to several players. And now this year you got two guys that are going down for long periods of time. And it does test, uh, test your depth, especially when you get to the postseason, you know, the conference tournaments, NCAA tournaments, you're playing a lot of games in a short amount of time. So it can affect you. But I don't know, Kelvin Sampson. And if there's one coach that I trust in any sport at any level, it's Kelvin Sampson, that he can get a team ready no matter what odds they're facing. Yeah, and if you missed it, we did a great interview last week with Sam Raz, who yeah. hosts the Scott and Holman podcast, talking about the Cougars and you know how they've looked this season, but also going forward in the NCAA tournament. You know what what he was worried about there, and then also we talked about the Willie Fritz era starting the football program, where it's at, recruiting, coaching staff, et cetera, et cetera. So if you love the Cougs, you need to go check it out. Um, just a lot of good stuff we've got uh, happening as well, like like we talked about. Steph Stradley, look for that one pretty pretty soon. It's going to come out within the next few hours. And uh, so so much to talk about right now. I mean, between the Rockets and the Cougars and now the Astros starting up and, you know, we're just weeks away from Texans free agency and and, and the, the rumbles and the rumors and all of that stuff have started. It's a lot going on. You know, I, I tell you what, that's one reason, Robert, I'm so glad that I'm an all-around sports fan 
Because if I was just a football fan, yeah, I know there's talk in the off season mostly, you know, it's still kind of its own season, but if I'm a football fan, I want to watch football, you know, but I love baseball, love football, love basketball, even love hockey. You know, I wish Houston would get an NHL team. (laughs) We could talk all day about that, but yeah, it's great because this is the time of year that there's plenty of things going on, even though football is not quote unquote in season. And it's even better when your teams are doing better. You know, the last few years, Robert, the Astros were carrying the city of Houston and everyone else was just falling to pieces. Well, now you've got the Texans that are better and hopefully they'll get even better the next year. The Rockets are somewhat better. You hope that they'll get better, you know, in the next few years. So yeah, it's wonderful that we can have all these things to talk about. It sure makes it easier for us doing the show. (laughs) You mentioned hockey and, you know, right after we did that plug for national or not national, but Houston's hockey day on Saturday. And I heard they had a few thousand out there. I heard from uh, one of the guys that was in charge of that who helped us uh, get the interview that we did last week about that. Um, but yeah, the, the Tillman Fertitta word came out that, you know, he's working on it. He's working hard on it, trying to figure out an angle to get the NHL in Houston, get a hockey team. Well, you know, we've heard that. I, I think he's been saying that even when he bought the Rockets, he's been talking about that. And there, there are just so many variables at play, Robert. I mean, I happen to cover the NHL and I, I mean, gosh, we've been talking for years and years even after the original Houston Arrows of the World Hockey Association, which, of course, for those that weren't born back then, this was in the 70s, they were the rival to the NHL. And, of course, they merged with the NHL in the late 70s. Well, the Houston Arrows did not, was not, they weren't part of that deal. We've been talking about it ever since. And, you know, it's obvious that with the fourth, what is it, the fourth, fifth largest city in the country, they're the biggest city that does not have an NHL team. And with all the transplants that have come in and just the fact that, as Tillman Fertitta said, it could certainly boost the downtown area even more than it already is. Houston is ripe for a team, but, you know, there are obviously uh, complications. You know, is it going to be an expansion team? Is somebody going to move? You know, the Arizona Coyotes have been talking about moving for the last several years, but the NHL is digging their heels in trying to keep them where they are. And if you go with an expansion franchise, that fee is going to be over a billion, yes, billion with a B, dollars. So, there are just a lot of factors, but I tell you, being a native Houstonian, Robert, and being into hockey as I am, I'd love to see it at some point. Yeah, tell people what you're doing with the Stars. You, you're covering them, right? Yeah, I cover the Dallas Stars for uh, the Hockey News, uh, the Dallas Stars team site. They're not the Hockey News magazine part, but uh, I'm on the website, and uh, I cover the Dallas uh, Stars for the uh, Hockey News Dallas Stars team site. I'm one of the uh, site reporters there, so that's really a lot of fun. I enjoy it, and you know, it's just it's one of the again, it's one of those uh, passions that I have is hockey and and I get to write about it. It's like I get to talk all kinds of sports with you on this show, Robert. Yeah, you keep busy with a lot of different things. And I um, always love the fact that you find some time to do stuff with us every week. Thanks so much, Stephen. You bet, Robert. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.